Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pigger, ed editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, uh, I'd like to welcome Claire Atkin, CEO and co-founder of Check My Ads, the uh, ad tech watchdog. Uh, welcome, Claire. Hi, thanks. It's wonderful to be here. It's, uh, it's good to chat to you. It's been a few years, actually. Um, we were sort of saying off mic, like the last time we actually did a podcast was either three or four years ago. And uh, I see uh, recently when we were sort of getting in touch to do this one, I see that Check My Ads is, uh, is no longer an agency, but uh, an institute now. Um, I wanted to ask you what, what the change was there and you, you more officially recognized? Yeah, Check My Ads is the ad tech watchdog, and we were not always that way. The problem that we're dealing with is that advertisers are not in control of their own campaigns. So when Nandini and I started, Nandini Jammy is my business partner, and she and I met in 2019. And our question was, why when advertisers have said the world over that they don't want to be sponsoring hate or disinformation, that these brand safety violations are happening at a much higher level than appropriate. And we decided to start an agency to try to help advertisers better communicate to the middlemen of this industry what their standards were. And what we realized after a year of working with all kinds of communication department, brand department, marketing, advertising, is that nobody felt like they had control over their own campaigns because of the way the industry is built. So we decided to start a very public, we closed the agency and we have started a nonprofit. It's called a C3 in America. It just means uh, that donations to us are tax deductible. And this is a very public, transparent watchdog that is fighting for transparency and control for advertisers on what we call the digital supply chain. Sounds good. Um, so I, I guess that the change helped then sort of becoming this this new organization, would you say? Over the past couple of years, we have seen some concrete changes in the supply chain. Dark pool sales houses is something that we sort of blew the whistle on a couple of years ago. We saw brand safety technology be a little bit less used to block the news and a little bit um, more sensible when it came to block lists. We're also seeing a big shift towards inclusion lists as opposed to block lists by advertisers. We think that is a good thing. We're really fighting for any sense of practical approaches to the ad tech system right now it's really a magpie's nest and we need to clean it up yeah actually i was i was going to step back because I, I i realized i sort of charged into uh asking lots of things about where you are now but um i was wondering if you could uh you know as a as a brand safety advocate could you you sort of explain perhaps on a basic level what brand safety is because I've seen it defined as uh, protecting a brand from harm and others describe it as a loss of trust between the brand and the consumer. Uh, is it both things or, or where do you stand on it? I would say it's both things and more. The, the rule that we apply to this is if a website is unsafe for our communities, and what I mean by that is if they are scapegoating a marginalized group or if they are spreading disinformation about a pandemic, if they're making people unsafe, it isn't a place generally that brands want to be, especially brands that have built up their equity over decades. They don't even want to be on places that give people the ick, let alone places that lead to 
mass violence or mass harm in some way. So this uh, this notion of brand safety is really about brand equity and about brand trust. You're absolutely right. And it's it's also just a basic marketing principle that, that you want to advertise on places that are going to build your brand and you don't want to advertise on places that are going to drag it down. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And it, it's definitely perhaps something we, um, various platforms or so in the last year or two that we could probably touch on a little in a little bit. I guess I wanted to to mention the, uh, there's a tagline on your site, uh, dismantling the disinformation economy. Um, and you talk about building this new sustainable digital standard in advertising. I wanted to ask how that fight's going from, you know, in, in the last time we talked was, like you say, probably about three years ago. Um, how are things progressed in the last three years, better or worse, or just a sort of a different battle? Yeah, our tagline really changed from when we were a for-profit agency. We're like, take back control of your ad campaigns. And now we're like, no, listen, we have to dismantle the disinformation economy. And what we mean by that is if we can clean up the disinformation economy, it means we have cleaned up the supply chain of the internet. So between an advertiser and a website, advertisers usually don't place ads themselves on websites, especially not in programmatic advertising. They have middlemen do it for them. So it goes advertiser, agency, and then a few different ad exchanges. And there can be four or more hops of companies between an advertiser and where the ad ends up. What that means is that these middlemen have incredible levels of control over the money and the ads and the data that they are trafficking. And when you have a non-transparent supply chain, Advertisers can't tell what the heck is going on, and publishers, websites cannot tell what is going on. This has happened over the years with many industries. And the one that is my favorite example of this is the is the car industry. It used to be that when you bought a car, it was very hard to tell if it was going to last. And the word lemon arose as a as an example of a car that was sold to you but turned out to be a lemon a, a car that did not work that okay. was the that was a famous advert wasn't it from in the 60s maybe it was um something about the i don't know it was vw or yeah a lemon advert we'll find it I'll, I'll, I'll put it i'll put a link into that um i'll send it to you as well the worst thing that could happen to you in the 50s and 60s in the consumer market is that you bought a car and then you brought it home and it was trash. You had to continue to bring it into the mechanic to get it fixed. And you ended up wasting a huge amount of your savings on this giant purchase that did not work. And as the years went on, the 60s and the 70s, the car industry became rife with crime and fraud. And what we did in the States is that we introduced law after law to fix this. So now the middlemen of this industry, okay, the dealers, in the, the world of the internet, these middlemen are ad exchanges, DSPs, SSPs, okay? In the world of cars, it's just car dealers. They suddenly have a lemon law, okay? So in the 80s, the lemon law was uh, enacted. And if you bought a car that was new and you had to bring it into the shop more than a few times within a certain period, it's now considered a lemon and you get your money back. And then there's a mileage law. It's very hard to know if someone has tampered with the mileage of a car. But if you figure that out, that person goes to jail. They have committed a federal crime. 
So yes, it's hard to figure out, but the stakes are really high if you decide to go that route, if you decide to tamper with the mileage of a car. And then dealers, they have to go into a shop to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, every two years, and they take a test for 40 hours about what it means to be someone who deals in these large-level financial transactions, what the regulations are, and what their responsibilities are. Now, this is basic. I could go on about the kinds of regulations that we have in the car industry. And this is important because we have nothing like this in advertising. We have no protections for consumers, for the for the consumers of products, let alone the people who are buying ads, the consumers of ad space, the advertisers, and no protection for publishers, for the news. We've got all these sort of market forces that are at play but what it really looks like is the high seas. You can get away with anything. This is an international market with international companies, many of whom we don't even know the ownership of. And we have a lot of cleaning up to do. Yeah, I think I had a question about asking uh, something around the Wild West, but you said the high seas. So pirates, you know, cowboys, whatever. It's kind of, I, I guess, I don't know, is that because, you know, the internet is, is I suppose, been around for only. 15 20 years maximum like is it still kind of people think feel they act like it's been around forever i mean i do but then the other day i was thinking like you know social media platforms have been around less than 15 years and it just you kind of get used to it so fast don't you and you don't realize that actually there's not a lot of rec regulation necessarily i think that's a really good point the internet as we know it has only been around for definitely less than a couple decades so i asked how long did it take to regulate the car industry and the car industry really took off post-war, you know, especially in the 50s. And it wasn't until the 80s that these regulations were implemented as a protective force. So I wonder if we can learn from this. And the internet has been around since arguably the 90s. We're hitting that 30-year mark soon. And I think that we could really do something. And I think the fact that the Digital Services Act is just getting enacted now is is maybe an indicator that we're hitting that 30 year mark already i was, I was going to ask actually so i mean obviously there's there's legislation and then there's what's going on inside corporations like what, what are they doing i mean what are you seeing when it comes to what's going on inside corporations when it comes to brand safety so it depends on the company but oftentimes what we see is that the people who care about brand safety in these organizations are the people who are dealing with the brand safety crises. Those are the comms folks. And in communications, they have to monitor social media and manage the brand as, as it sort of evolves relative to the way people communicate with them. So communications, the Department of Brand, the Department of Marketing. And then the last people who are really paying attention to this in some companies are the digital advertising folks because they have really uh, subscribed to the idea of, uh, of these quantitative metrics that you have to have a very low CPM, a cost per thousand views, and that you're always optimizing for that or that you want the most possible impressions without really paying attention to quality. Um, and right now we're seeing, a, I would say, an exercise in diplomacy happening between all of these departments internally. And 
some really wonderful stories are coming out of the corporate world about people who are finally saying, hey, I think we should check our ads. I really don't want to financially sponsor the people who are making our world a worse, more hateful, more dangerous place. Do you think that's um, kind of part of like, it's like maybe overall reflection of society or some parts of society in the last few years of kind of a, r- a rise of activism and a rise of, you know, um, I guess more purpose and people wanting to do good and, you know, link to climate change and all the various other movements we've seen in the last few years. Do you think people in, within these big organizations are just people at the end of the day? And you think that they have, I don't know, a desire to, like you say, not not be seen to be linked to evil evil organizations or bad practices. They want to be seen to be doing good. I love that question because it really gets to the heart of what we're talking about here, which is that the people who work at Fortune 500 companies, at these companies that are having these brand safety crises happen, they are human beings and they are members of our communities and they have children and they have friends and family, and they are themselves members of marginalized groups, and they can see clearly what is happening. And the world of marketing, not the world of advertising, but the world of marketing is full of creative people who know what it's like to feel like an outcast, who know what it's like to really try to understand the trends of society, the trends of a community, and the the sort of mass psychology. And They can see with their own two eyes what is happening to the world right now. We are dealing with the rise of uh, mass violence. We are dealing with the rise of white nationalism, of ethnic nationalism more globally. We are dealing with a power grab of authoritarian forces, unlike we have ever seen before at all levels of government in many, many countries. And this next year in 2024 around the world, there are over 50 elections. You know, 50 national elections are taking place. They say 70 important elections are taking place. In the UK, they're calling it the year of democracy, which is, of course, a brand safety crisis for every company waiting to happen. Because when you have an election year, you have a spike in disinformation. You have a spike in scapegoating marginalized groups. So we're going to have to be on our toes this next year. And the people who work at these companies at the advertisers they're not blind and they they know that they have some responsibility and that the company needs to do what they can to not cause harm i mean i was thinking like um i assume the majority of your work literally focuses on the us um i was reading a, a recent forbes article which said that uh, us big tech has too much influence particularly compared to europe where perhaps consumers digital privacy is a bit more protected with I don't know GDPR and other things, but then you're working in you're working with these corporates that are often global companies. So I, I guess I don't know. If there's a, an interesting clash there because it's I don't know their their European division is doing one thing and with brand safety perhaps, and then the US side is doing something else. So, um, how do you sort of tackle that? I mean, in terms of your work, or is it just a sort of an overall blanket? Let's try and get to something good as much as we can in every bit of the world. There are so many ways to tackle this problem. We're not not talking about Europe. I was in the European Parliament in September of this last year, 2023, talking about 
European and Western companies sponsoring disinformation in the Balkans, disinformation that was pro-Russia, that was anti-Ukraine, and that these webs, these advertisers probably did not know that they were on these channels. So we are speaking about this. We are meeting with folks in Brussels about the Digital Service Act, but the engine of the disinformation economy, the engine of really the internet's economy is New York City. And the reason for that is because that's where the ad tech middlemen are congregated the most. Yes, they are also in Europe. Yes, they are also in Israel. There are some other ad tech companies sort of around the world sprinkled, if you will. But the vast majority are in America. And the way that we see the internet is as a marketing funnel, as a as a series of services along this funnel that attract people towards services or towards content or when we're talking about the disinformation economy towards bigotry and hate and violence and so the people we have to contend with are not the end people are not the proud boys necessarily although yes absolutely but what we're looking at at check my ads are the middlemen along that funnel and they're mostly based in the United States, which is why we focus on the United States, because we believe that's where we can pressure them the most. And hopefully, by cleaning that up, we will also be able to apply pressure about really terrible things that are happening in all kinds of other parts of the world as well. Yeah, that, that sounds, I mean, that sounds great. I just, I was thinking of, um, uh, you mentioned companies um, moving towards like being good or, or trying to seem to be uh, meeting a certain standard is is there a, a, any sort of charter or anything that they could sign up to or a certain standard that they meet you know a bit like um i can't remember the term for it now but you, basically a thing where you can say you know we are x certified or whatever so we are we are not putting our ads in bad places does that exist yet yes there are a handful um the first thing i should say is that if you are trying to certify yourself or certify get get certification from the middlemen you work with that is a, a really dangerous route it's it's just not working there's all kinds of certification and it is meaningless at this point a lot of it is pay to play and the standards that we have seen are just they're really haphazard so the to rely on a stamp is to do bad business that said the World Federation of Advertisers has put together the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. And GARM, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, has made a brand safety guidelines document called the Brand Safety Floor. And the idea behind that is that the bar is on the floor. So this is like a universal brand safety uh, standard. And they have started to talk about started to, I would say, delineate the boundaries for the global advertising industry in a way that is at least a good start. One of the things that they've identified is the irresponsible, the irresponsible treatment of sensitive social issues. So one of the things that they've identified is the irresponsible treatment of sensitive social issues. If you're taking a wedge issue and you're using it to drive a wedge into society, if you're using it to intentionally enrage people, then they consider that brand unsafe. And I think that that is a helpful framework. It's, it's the bad faith conversation around sensitive social issues, not 
the sensitive social issues themselves. So if there's a news article about changes to abortion reform, that's fine. That's brand safe, according to Garm. But if it is a podcaster speaking in bad faith and using abortion as a wedge issue to fearmonger, then they don't want to be there. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it put me in mind of um, various political figures and political parties around the world, not naming any names or anything, but I'm sure any of us can have a pretty good guess at who some of them might be, um, you know, in the US and the UK and other places that love to draw, create wedges and be inflammatory for, for that very reason. I, I, I know we haven't got too much time, but I wanted to uh, touch on AI, the exciting world of AI that everybody loves to talk about in, in the last year and probably will do so next year in a great deal. Two, two things I read recently, uh, one was uh, an article saying, uh, talking about AI helping marketers with brand safety at scale. Um, and another one said, AI fuels new brand safety worries. So I guess like anything else, right, AI is a tool, so you can use it for maybe good, good, or, good or ill. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on how AI is playing into brand safety. And, you know, have you touched on that much in your work so far, or is that sort of on a long to-do list? Oh, yeah. So there are three ways that brand safety or sorry, that AI is going to affect the advertising world that we've already identified, that we as an advertising industry have identified. The first is AI in ads. So the more targeted the AI is, the more that it can sort of respond to the thing that might make us buy a thing. Then there's AI in content and AI in content looks like the proliferation of many, many websites full of garbage that looks real, that no person actually visits, but that bots visit. And it's just a money-making scheme for people who want to use AI for, for ad fraud. And then there's the AI that is going to allegedly distribute ads across the internet and place ads only on brand safe environments, or who knows, you know, ads based on our data in different places. And that is the AI that I think is the most potentially problematic because of its lack of transparency and accountability. So AI could be a wonderful thing for the world. I don't know. But what it does do is two things. It makes it much harder to figure out what is going on. And it makes it much harder to when something does go wrong, when a harm does occur, seek justice. So an advertiser who has been working with a middleman and the middleman deploying this AI means that they are going to have a harder time getting their money back if the AI goes off course. And we need to make sure that whatever AI we deploy, we are also talking about the chain of accountability, who is actually in charge when something goes wrong, so that we can seek justice, so that we can do good business. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's like even if you even if you have I don't know, it's like you've got the middleman, and then you've got uh, whoever enacted the whole campaign or whatever it is originally. I don't know if if, if it was um, if it was war and you were deploying I don't know automated soldiers, right? Like somebody somebody turned them on and set them off towards an enemy in the first place. It's kind of you know it goes back down the chain. I assume like you, you have to the buck has to stop somewhere, right? Um, with responsibility. I suppose like uh, before everything becomes complete doom and gloom, um, I wanted to kind of finish off or round off with um, talking about what sort of gives you hope for, for next year um, in terms of building this kind of new sustainable digital uh, standard in advertising. Um, and, and, and what does this kind of better system look like to you? I guess hope and uh, 
hope and vision or something, if we're going to use some buzzwords. Right now, the digital supply chain serves no one but the middlemen. The advertisers are getting hosed, the publishers are getting hosed, and the consumers are getting hosed. Like nobody is happy along the supply chain except the middlemen because they have so much power and they can just suck up as much money as they want and they can do whatever they want. The only thing really stopping them is that it is a somewhat competitive market. Somewhat. Okay. Google gets away with impunity. Everyone else has to compete. So what needs to happen? Well, we need to move back to a time when uh, we will have a brand equity relationship between publishers and advertisers. What I mean by that is that advertisers want to be on certain parts of the internet and certain parts of the internet want these specific advertisers and that that relationship is easy and practical and that consumers are not the thing that is being identified and targeted, that that brand equity is the thing that they want. So basically the internet has broken our relationship, our advertising relationship with place. And we need to bring place back. Okay, so we've we've decided that we'll follow users around absolutely anywhere they go on the internet, and that has broken the relationship between publishers, places that are good places to advertise, and advertisers. So we need to bring back the fact that place matters. That where you advertise says something about yourself. And by the way, whether or not we pay attention to that, that is what consumers see. So we need a marketplace that reflects that truth. Uh, I suppose touching on the sort of what gives you hope for next year, then it, it, are you moving in that direction or reestablishing that relationship between place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the responsibility of the middlemen, the regulation of the middlemen. We need to know where our campaigns go. We need to be able to check our ads to get that log level data, to get that supply chain path. And to get the brand safety data, we need to be able to see what's happening to our own campaigns. That's a basic first step. After that, we need to be able to enact what is what should be happening to our campaigns. We have to be able to delineate and control exactly what our campaigns are doing. So we are working towards that in various ways. The number one way is that we have a newsletter. Uh, if you go to checkmyads.org, you can sign up there for free to our newsletter. And we are constantly putting out stories about what is going on in the supply chain and how to check your ads and how to how to fix your campaigns and what to look out for. So that is the first step. We're also working at uh, Capitol Hill, the Parliament Hill, Brussels, London to explain what is going on on the supply chain and how exactly we need to regulate these middlemen. And in 2024, who knows what's going to happen? Um, you asked me what has what gives me hope. The fact that all this all this activism, all this attention is happening is because we are facing a real threat. This real threat is affecting us already, and it's going to affect us much, much more if we do not stand up and face it now. And the advertising world has a big responsibility. And what gives me hope is that people at these corporations, at these middlemen are saying, we don't want to make the world a worse place. That was never our intention. We are going to fix what we are doing now. 
yeah, fixing things, making them making them better sounds like a, a pretty good bit of hope to cling on to. And uh, yeah, it does sound like there's some momentum going on. And we'll, we'll put some links in the uh, in the show notes to uh, to the newsletter and to uh, any articles and things that you want to point people to uh, on your website and any ways if they want to get involved further to do good things <laughs> to, to, to to be better at what they're doing. Uh, yeah, but but for now, um, just that I want to say thank you so much for coming on the uh, the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here.